Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us this avenue of prayer in which we can connect to you. Thank you that when we pray, you hear and answer our prayers. Thank you that when you answer, you answer every single time we pray. Not always the way we thought, but always in a way that is better than what we asked. Thank you that when we ask, you always do much more than what we've asked. And so we thank you that even though we're not in heaven yet, we can already know an eternal sort of life. We can already experience a touch of heaven. And we praise and we thank you for that. Thank you for each one that has come here this morning. Thank you for these delegates. We pray that now as we look into your word and as you have brought us a message that your Holy Spirit would move in us and we say to you, we choose to intentionally engage, to listen and to hear what it is you're saying in our hearts and in our spirits. And we say this morning that we choose to respond with hearts of faith and with hearts of obedience to what you have for us. Father, thank you for what you've done in this church. Thank you for what you are doing in this church. And thank you for what you're going to do through this church. Now speak to us, Lord, because your servants are listening. For it's in Christ's name we pray and everybody agreed by saying, Amen. I was in Bible college many years ago, and I was married with three children, and on a Sunday night in 1982, a pastor by the name of Doug Barber, the brother of our pastor there, preached a message on faith from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, and the Spirit moved powerfully in me, giving me a great desire to learn how to walk by faith. And the next morning, I went to the church early, and in the safety of that dark auditorium, and with many tears, I begged God in that dark auditorium in Kitchener-Waterloo to teach me how to live by faith. You can ask God to teach you how to grow in faith. And shortly after that, I was praying in the basement of our side-by-side on Westwood Drive in Kitchener, and the Holy Spirit told me to double our tithe. I saw no link to the prayer I had prayed some time before that. I went upstairs and told Fran that I felt the, whole, uh, uh, the Spirit had said, and, and she agreed immediately, and only two, but only two weeks after we started doubling the tithe, I received notice at McGee Industries in Elmira that they were shutting down the plant due to high interest rates. I was working there while I was going to school. Which, uh, and these high interest rates had paralyzed the economy and plants were shutting, uh, shutting down all over southern Ontario. When I got home, I told Fran, and her first question was this, what about the promise to double our tithe? Well, I said, my first response would be that double of nothing is nothing. 
And my second response was, I think that two weeks ago when God asked us to double our giving, he knew exactly what was going to happen. We chatted about that, and we agreed, and uh, we just moved on from there. And for the next two months, we told nobody, because it was an agreement we had made with God, and with no money in the bank, no job, no credit card, no paycheck, we continued, a lot, uh, we continued to live. In fact, after two months, our giving hadn't dropped at all. Sometimes checks would just arrive from people in the mail. It was the beginning of a journey of faith that God would take us on. There's an important link between faith and prayer that we need to see. The first thing we want to look at is the fact that faith, born in prayer, pleases God. Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Everything that you attain to or accomplish in the Christian life is linked to your faith in God. Everything. I already mentioned that you can ask God, for, uh, uh, that you can ask God for faith in prayer. But there's a second way that God has designed to grow our faith, and it's to tie our needs to prayer. When God hears and answers our prayers, we discover that He cares about us, that He is listening to us, that He is good to us. And when God answers our prayers, it increases our faith, doesn't it? Does it increase your faith when you pray and you pray like Anna and, uh, uh, and her family prayed? Does it increase your faith when God hears and answers difficult prayers? It certainly does. And when he answers in ways we were not expecting or asking for, uh, we discover even more about him, such as his wisdom. Back to the story in Kitchener, where I'd lost uh, my job for two months. Fran and I were praying hard for another job at that time, and I was applying for any job I could get. Much competition was out there because uh, everyone was looking for work at that time. But God heard our prayers, and, we were hired, and I was hired at Relmac in Elmira, not far from the other industry. They produced electrical components using 5 and 10, 10 ton presses, and, uh, but the products they were making had to be mixed with certain colors, with a real fine dust powder. And so they gave me that job. It's, it's the most filthy job you could get. Most of it was in pitch black. And uh, so within about 15 minutes of starting on the shift, you looked like a coal miner. And uh, so I took the job. I was very thankful. I was grateful. God had answered our prayers. And, uh, but I had only worked three evenings uh, after school when I was asked to report to the plant production manager. And he said, the quality control manager saw your resume sitting on my desk and wants to see you immediately. Now, it was filthy, but I went to talk to him like that. <laughs> uh, black all over me. And he asked, what do you know about quality control? Nothing except that they walk around the plant in a clean white coat. <laughs> and they check everybody else's work, and they don't seem to do any work. <laughs> Two weeks later, I was wearing a clean white coat and learning how to do quality control. But that's not the biggest thing. You know what else the quality control manager said to me? He told me that if there, uh, he said, on this job, there's a lot of time where you're not doing anything. So I understand you're taking studies and you're going to school, so during that time, you can study for your, uh, for your classes. And I did many, many of hours, many hours of work at that plant, 
studying and getting paid for it. When you pray, you discover that God listens, that he cares, and that he answers. And often he does much more than what you asked or imagined, as was in this particular case. Isn't it true? And uh, Ephesians says that. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And when we see how he listens, how much more he does in answer to our prayers, how he sovereignly orchestrates all kinds of events and circumstances to put it all together, our trust or faith in him does what? It grows. It increases. And when that happens, we are ready to trust him in critical moments. The series of God-orchestrated faith-testing events in Kitchener uh, during those four years grew our trust and faith in him so that when, we to when he told us to move to Woodstock and plant a church, though we had no money, no job, no house to live in, no financial support, we went. That's part of the way he designs to grow us. And so when he places needs in your life, Part of the reason is to bring you uh, back to him and connect because we're prone to wander. But uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of purposes why he has prayer. And one of them is so that he can set you up to grow you in your faith. In fact, uh, when, uh, when we went to uh, Woodstock, it was, we, we were just, as I've often told you, just a family of six. One man, one woman, no money for a salary at all. And yet, in just one and a half years of, uh, of arriving in Woodstock with no money, we purchased our first house, first house, and we had to put a 10% down payment, which we saved in just one and a half years. We had never owned a house before. Had not one cent when we started, before we started that church plant in the YMCA in Woodstock. Is that amazing? God can do anything. Would you agree with that? And he, he ties our needs to prayer so that he can grow us in our what? So he can grow us in what church? In our faith. We began to lead people to the Lord. It was impossible. The Lord spoke to me in prayer as we started the church, and, and we changed the name from Crossroads to Faithway. He spoke to me one day as I was in prayer. And he said, that's a very nice name, Crossroads. It had the cross through it and everything. It just seemed very nice. But he said, this church is supposed to be called Faithway. It's a declaration of how you're going to run this particular church. And we had printed out uh, uh, thousands of flyers that we're going to distribute through uh, Woodstock, and we paid it with our own money, uh, though it came from the offerings, but we were the only ones putting money in the offering. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it went. We, we gave to pay ourselves, and we gave to, to make the church happen. And we, I remember taking the boxes of, uh, of pamphlets and throwing them all away after we had spent that precious money on it because the name had changed. The Lord uh, spoke to us about that. But you know what? He was setting us up for more. That wasn't nearly as big a deal as when we came here to Southland in one day in 2004, as an example. There's been many, many things. But in 2004, he spoke to me on Crescent Beach and said, I want, you to bring the whole, I want you to tell the church about the Holy Spirit. I said, Lord, I can't tell them about the Holy Spirit. I'll either lose my job or the church will split. And uh, we, just, we just couldn't see what he was asking us to do. We walked by what, church? Faith. 
Yeah, and in prayer, he tells us to do certain things, and he grows our faith so that the things he's going to ask us to do will match what he's asking when we can't see it. And of course, we finally did. Not only did the church not split, the church quadrupled since that time in size. Only God can do these things. Is it true? God can do the impossible. We launched School of Ministers as an example, 2009. We, 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 Chris, uh, Chris Piach and Chris Dirksen and myself, we sat together and we came up with a number. We said, we've got to have at least a minimum of eight students or we're not going to launch this thing. It takes too much resources, too much time, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, when it was all said and done, 24 signed up for our first year in 2009. And then when we got through the first year, we, we talked to each other and we said, where are we going to get another batch of students? That pretty much takes them all. And we've been running it now. We're going to be starting our seventh in the fall. And now we even have a, school, uh, a pastoral track that we're adding to it. And we said, but there's not going to be anybody. The Holy Spirit spoke to us in prayer. There's not going to be anybody. Now there's three young men who have been very, very definitely called to ministry, who have chosen to come to our pastoral track in School of Ministers. And um, that's amazing, isn't it? Uh, you think about the Tupandani uh, thing, and God said, I, I want you to work with this Alex Metella. And what did he need? A farm. He, that's all he wanted. He wanted a farm. And to help his 2,000 orphans. So we sent tractors over there, brand new tractors, big combine, harrows and plows, and put up these massive, massive water tanks, and, and on and on the list goes. Six uh, shipping containers full of equipment and stuff over, the, over a number of years. Finally, one year, uh, Joe was going, and he said, why don't you go with me? And I said, no, I'm not going to go with you don't need me for that because it's all about farming and stuff. And we got farmers going. We got, you know, uh, marketplace leaders going. And they're helping set up all this stuff that takes care of these kids. By the way, for the first time this year, not only will they feed the kids, but they'll, they'll now make a profit for the first time off of that farm. 2,000 kids. But that wasn't God's end game in mind. That was a, that was a big deal. But because... They came to love and trust us so much, they said, you've got this thing about church renewal, we want you to bring it here. And of course, just a couple of months ago, I came back, uh, uh, Steph and I went there, and Fran and a whole team, uh, we went over there and we trained 60 leaders from uh, top church leaders from six African countries about church renewal, and now they're looking at ways to get it through their entire systems of thousands and thousands of churches, and we'll be continuing that. All because in prayer, God said, I want you to do this. Amen? Amen. I want you to do this. But he grows our faith uh, to do that. Uh, God, uh, God sent us to a place like Steinbeck. It didn't make any sense. One Christian leader advised me back, it didn't, in 2001, he came to preach for, uh, for us from Toronto, and this is what he said. He was, I was driving back to the airport, and he said to me, he said, Ray, if you ever want to have impact on the Canadian church, and you, you seem to always talk about it, I, I guess, but he said, then you need to resign in Steinbeck and go to a place like Toronto or Vancouver where you can actually have an impact. And today, out of Nazareth, God is raising up a thing called church renewal. Amen. When you listen in prayer, then God begins to grow your faith, and he starts with some needs that you have, and you obey, and you listen, and you do it, and then you find out he's doing much more than what you ever thought or imagined, and you come to trust him, and the next time he says it, you're quicker on the draw, amen? And um, 
That's very, very important. Hebrews chapter 11 says, uh, this is how God responds when we grow and walk in our faith. He says in Hebrews chapter 11, he says, this is what the ancients were, what? What's the word? Commended for. Why? Because when we grow in faith, we are willing to participate with God in forwarding his agenda and kingdom, not ours. When we can't see ahead, by faith Noah built an ark 450 feet long by 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. It hadn't rained yet. They didn't know such a thing as a flood. It took them many, many years to build that thing. And the whole time, can you imagine the ridicule of the people around? There's going to be a flood? A what? How do you spell that? And God's going to judge it and so on. But he obeyed, he listened, and God was happy with him. He was pleased with him. Because the ark saved the animals, mankind, from a deluge or flood that would check the fast-spreading evil in the world and act as a picture of salvation and a reminder of future judgment. Maybe in prayer, God is saying to you, I want you to get involved in the prayer ministry like Anna. Maybe he's saying in prayer, as you're in prayer, uh, or even besides that, I, I want you to be at the prayer summit tonight. And you say, what difference does it make? It's really nice outside. If one person isn't there, what difference does it make? I can't see the difference it's going to make. But that is precisely the point of faith. You can't see. You can't see how it'll make any difference. Neither can I, but God can. Amen, church? I could, I can't, you know, I, I start with some of those bigger things, but we can't, we, we couldn't see how some of these things were going to happen here at Southland. Somebody asked me, uh, I've had this question asked some, sometimes now, this is my 20th year that I'm here at Southland, and they say, when you first started, did you have this whole thing just all figured out? Did, it, did you see all this? I said, I saw nothing. <laughs> In fact, when I started, within two months, or within a month, my wife said, so what is the plan you have for Southland? And I said, I don't have a plan. She said, I thought you knew how to take them where they should go. I said, no, I don't have a foggy clue. <laughs> but I know somebody who does, amen? amen? And you might be thinking, it makes no difference if I show up at a prayer summit tonight. How do you know? What do you know? What do I know? God can use anything. He took a slave girl, a Jewish slave girl, and stuck her in this uh, place uh, and, uh, with the Syrians, stole her away, and one day she told her, her master, his name happened to be Naaman, uh, how he could be healed of his leprosy, and he was the commander of the of the entire Syrian army, the enemy, arch enemy of Israel, and he was healed, and he became a believer in God. A servant girl. You don't even know her name. No name, servant, in the Bible. Esther, you're thinking. Yeah, Esther. How about this servant? Yeah, you, you know, I, I think about everybody. How many of you have heard about St. Augustine, the great church father? Okay, how many of you know his mother's name? Raise your hand. Yeah, one or two. That's it. And her name is Monica. She, 
She was called to a life of praying and interceding. She wept for her, her wayward intellectual son. He had an intellect that was incredible. And he wanted nothing to do with God. And he was a reprobate. She followed him wherever he went. He wouldn't even tell her sometimes where he was going. She would follow him and pray for him with tears. And finally, he was saved. And a few months later, she passed away. Now, none of you knew her. She didn't know. She didn't know what Augustine would become. He was just her son. She had no idea the impact that he was going to have on the Christian world. No idea whatsoever. You come to a prayer summit, you say, oh, what difference does it make? I'll tell you the difference it makes. On a church renewal weekend, as an example, and we ask the pastors, you can just spread out and you can pray anywhere you want. We don't have a, a grace fast huddle group, and that's where we send the pastors. Because that's where they're going to hear the prayers and, and get to prophecies. You will. <laughs> no, no question about it. We just say, go wherever. Just spread out. And so pastor came to us in tears. And we've had this kind of report many times. Pastor comes to us and says, I was praying with a group of 15 or 16-year-old girls. And they, decided, they wanted to listen in prayer. They listened in prayer. And they got words and thoughts and pictures for me. And he said, I began to weep because... They told me things that no one could have told. They couldn't have possibly known. They never met me before. How did they know? And then he said they laid their hands on me and prayed so powerfully the Spirit just went right through my entire body. Now, let me ask you this question. Let's say you pray for one pastor at a prayer summit where you didn't think it would make any difference, and this pastor goes back to his church and they get ignited and renewed for Jesus Christ, and they become churches of prayer, a church of prayer, and their people are changed and transformed. They start setting people free with a set free retreat. They have the empowered ministers, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and on and on and on it goes. And those lives are changed and transformed, and the teenagers, instead of leaving the church as they are in droves today, stay in the church. They marry, they have kids, dra, dra, dra. Could you see that when you went to the prayer summit, yes or no? No. There is a lot we will not see till we get to heaven. In fact, I'm becoming more convinced that we're, the real stuff we won't even see till we get to heaven. Do you believe that? In fact, Scripture tells us that this, uh, this, uh, this is what happened in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, no, I'm on another page here. I have no idea where I am. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, yes. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a what? Distance. You, you say, well, I was, just, I was just dishing out food last night in the lines for the church renewal thing and, and for the set free for all our people. And uh, most people don't even know my name or something. What, di what difference does it make? I'll tell you what kind of a difference it makes. A pastor comes to me, and I've had a bunch of pastors say, where do you get volunteers like that? In fact, I found out yesterday. Somebody just came and told me there was 100 volunteers just to, just to redo the chairs after the whole set-free retreat. 
Some people have come and complained, I heard this last night, that they're on a waiting list to volunteer. <laughs> and they're upset about it. How do I get to work around here? I want to get credit in heaven too. So I had, I had some pastors, they came to me and they said, well, how, what, what are you doing? Like, what, tell me about what are, you know, what's the angle? Like, what's the approach? How do you do it? What program do you use to get them volunteering? <sighs> I said, I don't have a program. <laughs> well, what are you doing? Change their hearts. Amen. Change their hearts. So I said to some pastors at a different church we know a weekend, I said, the set free that you're here at, that's what we do with them. And we teach them how to hear God's voice. So that when he wants to do something in and through them, and when he says, I want you to volunteer, I want you to do this, I want you to go to person, they do it, not because I said, but because what? Jesus, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit said. That's really, really important. Faith born in prayer also accomplishes great things. We saw two, two ways faith can grow. We can ask God in prayer for it. We saw that already. The second thing is that God ties our needs to, to prayer so that we can learn to trust Him. But there's another way that faith grows when, when He speaks directly to us. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, hearing through a word from Christ. Now, I'm not going to go through that whole thing, but uh, it's, it's, it. It's an anarthrous uh, construction. There's no definite article. It means a word from Christ. It's not speaking of the word of God. It's speaking of a word from Christ. The word is rhema, often used when, uh, in, a, in a place, in a context where he's speaking it, often used that way, and uh, so on and so forth. And the context, I also understand. It's in the context of saving faith. We hear, uh, you know, when, when uh, preachers preach, I was at a Brunk crusade many years ago, 12 years old, the Holy Spirit, the preacher's preaching, and something is happening inside. Amen? That's, amen? That's a word of Christ. The same thing happened in the New Testament, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, and it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter explained it, they, uh, that they needed to repent and believe. 3,000 were saved and baptized. But here's the point. Even though Romans 10, 17, the context for that is talking about believing faith or saving faith, that's not the only time. It's used, and I can prove it. I just showed you how it happened in Acts chapter 2, exactly the way Romans 10 said. However, on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus had arisen from the dead, um, he, he, he appears to these two disciples that are walking to Emmaus. And he joins their conversation. They're talking about this Jesus of Nazareth, who uh, was supposed to be this great prophet. Now they, they crucified him, and they don't understand. Jesus enters the conversation, begins to explain uh, from the scriptures, talks to them about slow of heart and all of that. They invite him to, for a meal in the village. And, uh, and so he says, I'll pray. And as he prays, it says their eyes were opened. And as soon as their eyes were opened, he disappeared. But notice what's ne what the next thing says. And then they said, were not our hearts 
burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures uh, to us. That's the kind of effect the word of Christ can have upon us as believers when he speaks to us, not just when we're uh, unbelievers, but when we are believers, he continues to speak to us. Salvation is just the beginning of a conversation. Amen? Amen. Yes. And that's the kind of effect it has. Jesus taught that, when we, uh, that we not only need God's written word from the past, we also need his spoken word to us in the present. Jesus spoke to each of the seven. Uh, I'll just, uh, I'm just going to go through a couple things very quickly because that's not the whole point here I'm making, but for those who may not understand and need this. Jesus, uh, first of all, spoke to each of the seven Asian churches after his ascension, and then at the end of each one of his evaluations to them in which he expected them to respond, that means they had to hear it. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Second, Jesus promised the disciples that they would receive his words in times of persecution. When they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. At the time, you'll be given that what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your, uh, of your Father speaking through you. And we see an example, for example, uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, he, uh, <clears throat> uh, he spoke, he was arrested, and man, he spoke. He preached a message, powerful message. And he didn't have time to make notes. It's incredible. Third, Jesus taught that this is to be normal Christian living. He said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by, on every word, Rema, that comes from the mouth of God. It all starts with a word from Christ spoken into your heart. When he speaks into your heart, you experience abundant or the renewed life. Is it true? <laughs> Did he speak to you this morning in your time when you got up with him? Isn't he precious? You start off rolling out of bed. I never talk to my wife when I wake up in the morning. It'd be terrible what I would say. And she doesn't speak to me. First we go speak with God, with Jesus. After we've spoken with Jesus, then we're ready to talk to each other. And a cup of coffee. <laughs> because he changes us. That's where we get our life from, hope and faith and love and joy and peace and all the rest of it. Anyway, fourth, Jesus expected that these words were to be also used to wage war, spiritual warfare. One day he decided to teach his disciples an object lesson. They were leaving Bethany and Jesus was hungry, seeing a fig tree he went to see if, any, if it had any fruit because it wasn't in season. So he cursed the tree, saying, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Sure enough, the next day as they passed by the fig tree, they saw that it had already withered and died. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Look how Jesus responds. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain. Circle that word. Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what, that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. He isn't talking here about general saving faith in God. He's talk, Jesus was talking here about obstacles and how you remove them. He's saying, have faith in what God is saying to you. 
And when he reveals something to you, to you, trust him. Have faith in him. This is what is his will, and it should happen. Notice I didn't say will happen. It should happen. He says something to you, and it should happen. That's his will, his desire. But now there's something left for you to do. His word given to you has the potential to change something. We must now act in accordance with what he has revealed to us. And one of the things he expects you to do with your mountain is to speak out to the situation. When he gives you a word, when he shows you what he wants, then you know how you're supposed to act, but you also know how you're supposed to speak into that situation. It's very, very important. Notice what Jesus said. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. Did you know that the Apostle Paul taught the exact same thing? In Ephesians 6.10, he says, put on the full armor of God. If we're going to put on the armor that defends, we are asked to do something. We won't go into that now, but we're asked to do something. Is it true or is it not? Say it's true. That's what the Bible says. Say that. That's what the Bible says. We're supposed to do something. Put on the armor of God, the full armor of God. Note, Paul tells them that's irresponsible. Next, he tells the believers that they are to take up a weapon to fight these spiritual forces of evil. In verse 17, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? Ah, and it's an anarthrous construction again, means there's no definite article. It's not the Word of God. He's not saying this, though you can use this too. But I want you to take a word from Christ, knowing what His will is in the present situation, and you can fight the enemy that way. And you speak it. It's a word from Christ. Paul is literally saying that uh, that, a particular, that this is a particular word from God for a specific situation. It can be a scripture verse, but it needn't be. And you wield that word like a sword. Jesus did that at his, uh, when he, in the temptation, and he spoke it out. Whatever that word from him is, you need to speak it out. A sword is no good in its scabbard. You've got to take it out and you've got to wield it. Amen. It certainly is true that mere man in his own power cannot simply go and speak to the forces of nature because we're talking about the fig tree here and how it was cursed and they will obey however the point being made is that when god reveals his will to a person that person can then confidently that's true faith because god has said speak and pray god's will and it i want you to say that confidently it what will happen just as God said, including, by the way, changing natures, of course, if that were the case. Interestingly, Elijah did just that. Not once, but twice. James 5 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months did not rain on the, on the earth. He prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And that was some time later. But there's more here than the fact that God used a man to change nature's course. Let's go back to the stories recorded in 1 Kings 17 to 18. 
in chapter 17, 1, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. But the context of it is that Elijah was always acting in accordance with a word from the Lord. Take a look what it says in 17, verse 2 to 3. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And it was word from the Lord that sent Elijah back to King Ahab to pronounce the end of the drought and then to pray for rain again. Verse uh, chapter 18, 1 says, After many days the, what? Help me, church. Word, word of the? Word. Came to? In the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And no one can counter that was then, the Old Testament, and this is now the New Testament. For the point that James makes is precisely that as Elijah in the Old Testament could and did stop and start nature with a word from the Lord in the same way we can do likewise. Oh, oh now I know it's getting a little heavy in here. What did we come to hear? The word of the Lord. That's what you came to hear. And James says, Elijah was a man just like... Huh. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't. Elijah was a man like us. That is the point. James expects that when we receive a word from the Lord, for that's what the story tells us, we should be able to pray with similar confidence and similar results. Now, why is speaking it out so important to God? We're talking here about, uh, in, in a context, take a look what's happening in our world around us. I had supper with the president of the Trinity Western University, and he said to me twice, to Fran and I in the conversation in Vancouver, he said, Ray, it doesn't look good for the church looking ahead. And he brought it up twice. We will need to know how to war spiritually. What he gives us in prayer, God that is, those are not our words, they're his words. And his words have power to create the situation. Do you believe that or don't you? Isaiah 55, 11 says, So is my word which goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire, achieve the purpose for which I sent. That's what prophetic words are. That's what words of knowledge and wisdom are. They are his words given and received from him. So why are we so hesitant about all this? Is it really such a big thing? I mean, think about this. Can the devil and his demons change nature? Yes, they can. Job said it. It happened in Job. And um, in Job we see that when given permission, he was able to send a big ball of fire from the heavens to consume 7,000 sheep and shepherds. Think about that for a minute. That's not a little thing from your barbecue lighter. Amen? And he was able to stir up a deadly hurricane-like wind that destroyed the house and killed all of Job's seven children. 
Now, which is the stronger of the two, the fire and wind, or the one who had the power to stir both up, in this case, Satan? Which one? Help me, church. I know. I, I, you're a little tentative right now. You're worried about where I'm going. And you, and you don't want to get tricked. You don't want to have the wrong answer, amen? Just say Jesus. Go ahead, say Jesus. You got it. You win. <laughs> Satan can do that. And uh, that means that it should be more difficult for us to deal with the devil than with the forces of nature. And yet, look at what the Scriptures teach us. Jesus' death and resurrection reestablished our authority over the devil. Jesus, it said, it's, or John said, the reason the Son of Man, or God, appeared was to destroy the devil's works. And I had to take out a whole bunch of passages of Scripture because of time, but... Jesus healed, he helped, he delivered, he ministered to everyone he met who was oppressed by the powers of darkness and by destroying the works of the devil on the cross. He freed us from Satan's grip and then Jesus mandated that we join him in reversing the works of the devil. Yes? It's true. He sent 72 disciples out to minister and see what happened and, and, and look at what happened when they reported back. They returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your names. The ones that could, have, could send on fire and do all that. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. This is nothing new. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is our birthright. Amen. This is our heritage. Amen. And yet... When the church should be pushing back the powers of darkness, the powers of darkness are encroaching on us. God has given us powerful words. When he speaks to us, we can speak them out. And he has given us authority to do it. This is how many have been set free at Southland. Many. August 2004, Stephen was saved. Stephen Dirksen, who led the set free. However, because of life of sin that he had been involved in, and de the demons had a strong hold on him, even after salvation. And one day, the battle was so intense that he called me for help, and I led him through an in, in, intentional confession of, repentance, uh, of sin and uh, repentance. His brother Chris was with as well and participated. And I took authority over demons that were harassing him, speaking to them in the name of Jesus with the authority Jesus had given me. I told them to loose Stephen and leave. And guess what they did? They finally let go. They had to. And today he does the same with many others. And many others here do the same thing. Here's the point. God won't do this for us. Amen? Ah, oh, you say, faith. Uh, you know what? We start with the little things, and he tells us little things, and we need help and stuff, and we grow in our faith, and then finally he starts to tell us to take on the enemy, and now our faith is grown, and he speaks to us in prayer, and he even gives us words, and when we speak them out, stuff happens. He gives us the authority and power to do it, and then he expects us to do it. You can pray, and you can pray, and you can pray, and you can pray, but nothing will change until you do what he asks you to do. 
Sometimes he asks you to act on it. Sometimes he asks you to speak. But nothing will change if you just wait for him. That's what the Canadian church has been doing for a long time. Waiting for God to do something. And you know what? God has been waiting for a long time for the Canadian church to get on her knees and begin to pray and to exercise what he says to them in their ears. Amen? Amen. And I'm speaking about Southland here. We shouldn't be too surprised if we accomplish great things when, when they're spoken. James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this is the way you and I can resist the devil. What is the Lord saying to us this morning? He has accomplished a lot through us in the last 20 years. Praise the Lord for that. He has done it. That's why I said, I didn't have a plan. I want you to know who's the Lord of the church. Who's the head of this church, church? Yeah. Aren't you glad? Yeah, because I'll tell you, if I was ahead, this would have been done very different. We'd still be, and we'd be very, still on Chrysler Gate. I probably wouldn't be the pastor either. A little church, three splits, couldn't pay the principal on a small mortgage. What has been done in and through us through set-free retreats, prayer summits, empower ministers retreats, school of ministers, camp, four winds, tupandani, church renewal. Only God could have done this. So many incredible spiritual victories and battles won. But he says to us, I want you to do so much more. I want to do so much more in you, for you, and through you. The darkness is encroaching. And I want to use you to push it back in your families, in the surrounding culture. When we talk about an evil principality or power over a broader area like a city or nation, it will take many more people praying in unity over a longer period of time to push it back. When we talk about a, a, a little difficulty you may have at home, you, one person can pray. Maybe you and your spouse pray. But when we start talking about principalities over entire cities and a nation and a culture, it's going to take a lot more praying, a lot more effort in that, in that respect than one or two or... Amen? It's going to take a lot more. There's a lot of forces that have amassed themselves against us. We need no less than 1,000 mature and serious Canadian churches who know how to set people free, who know how to really pray and war in the heavenlies, who hear his voice and act on it, and if we're to have any, ch if we're to have any chance. Church, for that, you and I must pray more. You are needed at the prayer summit tonight. And you must listen in prayer for the Holy Spirit's directions and words. And then you and I must remove those obstacles by speaking out those words given to, you, to us, thereby resisting the enemy and bringing into being God's will. He is saying that we should be praying more about our personal challenges as well as the ones rising up in society around us. God is challenging you and I to pray like we've never prayed before. To listen like we've never prayed before. To trust Him in faith like never before. That when He gives us a word, we're willing to act on it or we're willing to speak it out for the sake of the kingdom. Amen? Here's the weekly challenge. Tonight is the prayer summit. I won't say any more about it.
God is counting on you being here, not me. God is. This week, listen in prayer. Ask God what he is saying about the mountain you are facing. Ask him for a word, a thought, or a picture. In your personal prayer times, begin resisting the devil by speaking out by faith that which God has promised and given you authority to do. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.